A covenant is an agreement between two people. We make them all the time in courts between us. You have written, we call them agreements, written agreements and handshakes and all kinds of things. We, we do them with our kids. <laughs> we do them with our grandchildren. They're agreements. It's a covenant that you've made, and you expect two parties to hold to it. So there are two types of co covenants. There are conditional covenants, and there are unconditional covenants, or unilateral covenants and bilateral covenants. And the, we're going to look at three covenants. We're going to look at the, and see, even the names of them are very academic, but we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the New Covenant. And there are many other covenants. There's the Noahic covenant. There is the, there's a Adamic covenant. There are, there are several covenants that God made with his people. We're going to look at three. So the Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. God made promises to Abraham with requiring nothing from him. He said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And it required nothing of Abraham. And the biggest pieces of the covenant had to do with a land, a people, and a blessing. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you hear it? A land, a people, and a blessing. This was God's covenant with Abraham that required nothing. I'm, I'm really wanting to have you understand it required nothing of Abraham. Okay? It's an important piece of God's history with us. So the promised land, God promised Abraham from, Ur, from, the, Ur, from the land of Ur that he would give him a land. Promised descendants. Remember, Abraham was an old man when God did this. And then he promised a blessing, that he would be a blessing to the generations. And if you look, that is still so today. God's method of fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant was literal. God was literally going to provide a land. He was literally going to give him as many descendants as the sand of the, of the sea and the stars in the sky. He was literally going to bless him and bless the nations through him. God's method for fulfilling the covenant was literal. There are many who don't believe that God's covenant with Israel is a promise anymore. And that, that there are many that believe that Israel forfeited their inheritance when they crucified Jesus, rejected the Messiah. But the reason I wanted to get across to you that it was an unconditional covenant is that the Jews' rejection of Jesus was not part of the covenant. Are you hearing that? It was not part of the God did something unconditional and a promise for Israel that required nothing of them, including their behavior. He promised it will happen. So please see that God's, God's choosing... His purpose in choosing Israel, let's, 
let's look a little bit about what it's about. Were they any more special, really, than the Amalekites or the Perizzites? It was simply God's choice. There was nothing special about Israel. They were not a special people. In fact, they didn't even know who God was. He didn't pick them based on their merit alone. Are you understanding how this applies to us in so many ways? Are you seeing it? It had nothing to do with who they were. They didn't even know him, and he made a covenant that was unbreakable, and it had nothing to do with who they were. So he did that simply. He chose. God simply chose people through which he would show the world who he was. And it's this way today, and you can see it. And he blesses those who bless Israel, and he curses those who curse Israel. It is going to be even, it's going, you're going to watch it be an even bigger and bigger and bigger issue as time goes on from here. As you watch the news, as you watch what's going on, you will see that really when it comes down to it, there isn't a nation anymore who blesses Israel. And what is going to happen to those nations is going to be uh, pretty amazing to watch. But God said he would do it. It was part of the covenant, and he will do it. God's choice. Let us see his redemptive plan over and over and over, and we're still seeing it if we pay attention. If you heard Pastor Rick's message on Sunday about adoption, then you see how because we are grafted in to Israel, how these things apply to us. And that's pretty amazing. Did you love his expla- explanation of adoption? Was, it, was, he, was he saying back in, in the time of Israel that if you adopted a child, you could not disinherit them? You could disinherit your own children, but the adopted ones, you could not disinherit. And is that true today? I heard somebody saying that that's actually true today, that when you, th- by law, adopt a child, that child is yours. You cannot change that ever. I don't know anybody who'd want to, but really, you cannot change that. And again, are you seeing? We are adopted sons. If Israel couldn't, he can't, right? God is showing who he is through you. Every trial, every victory, every mountain thrown into the sea, every milestone through us, he is showing himself to the world, a world who needs him. An important part element of the Abrahamic covenant, however, demands a still future fulfillment with Messiah's kingdom. In the future, most, uh, I, Israel will possess the totality of the land. Now, even at the time when it was divided, when they lost the kingdoms and Israel was no more, they had not even yet conquered the entire f- footprint that God gave them. But in the future they will. In the future, Israel will inherit and they will inhabit the entire footprint that God gave them in the commandment, in the covenant. We will probably get to see that happen. It won't be a fun process, but we will probably get to see that happen. Um, The Old Testament passages anticipate the future blessing of Israel and her possession of the land. In Ezekiel 36, 22 through 24, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, 
which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Israel as a nation will be converted, forgiven, and restored. Romans 11, 25 through 27, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Pay attention here. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So do you remember back when we were studying about the wilderness and about the tabernacle? Do you remember that uh, about the, the fullness of the Amalekites the, ha, had not been yet, so God could not bring judgment because the fullness of the Amalekites hadn't happened yet. Well, he's talking about the Gentiles now. God's wrath and God's judgment of the earth hasn't happened yet because we really haven't blown it enough yet. And <laughs> it's not bad enough yet. <laughs> and as Pastor Rick, I remember him teaching last summer when he was teaching on end times, that the days are coming and the tribulation comes so that God can squeeze out every opportunity for man to choose salvation. And that's what it's talking about here. God is going to cause great pressure, great tribulation, but it is to squeeze out every possibility for every person to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. So that's not happened yet. But until that happens, see, there's a partial hardening with Israel. And that, will, that changes when God changes what happens with the Gentiles. Do you see that? The Abrahamic covenant finds its fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment, in the connection with the return of the Messiah to rescue and bless his people Israel. And it's through the nation Israel that God promised to bless the nations of the world. Whew. And that's almost enough for a day. But let's go into the Mosaic covenant, shall we? <laughs> the Mosaic covenant is a conditional covenant. God promised certain blessings if the people obeyed his commands and statutes. Conditional. God promises if Israel's behavior is part of this. All right? And God's heart is here is to bless, bless Israel richly, but it's dependent on their obedience. They would grow and prosper as God's people and as a nation so that other nations would come to know who God was through his people Israel. But Israel had to follow. They had to be obedient to the commands. In Exodus chapters 19 through 24, which I won't read right now, it's a long passage, but that is where God's law is written out. That's what the commandments and statutes were that they were to hold to, that they were to obey, that they were to observe on a daily basis. You'll find it there. God reminds Israel of their obligation and their obedience to the law. Exodus 19.5. Now then, 
if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples, for the earth is mine. And the people agreed. They're standing on a mountaintop, and then they're listing the blessings and the curses if they, if, if they do the, what they're supposed to do and if they don't do what they're supposed to do. And the people agreed. They all agreed to what the Lord had spoken. In Exodus 19.8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and they did it for about five minutes. <laughs> but again... <laughs> Not to rip on the Israelites, I think I sometimes do it for about five minutes myself. This covenant would serve to set Israel apart from all other nations as God's chosen people. Remember, God was setting up a government that was not run by a king or a hierarchical situation. He was setting up, this is what can happen in a nation if they will just submit and obey in obedience to God. He was going to show the world what that would look like. All of the other nations had kings. They were all oppressed. They all lived and died by what the king decided. And through Israel, he was going to show the world that it can look like this. I can bless you if you will obey my commands. He was showing the world what it was like to serve God through Israel. That was his intention. He looked at the Perizzites and the Amalekites and all the ites and said, look, look what it can be like. But they weren't that great an example. It's a significant covenant in God's resemptive history with us, history of the nations of Israel through whom God would sovereignly choose to bless the world with both his written word and the living word, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm going to stop for a moment. As I was just going through my notes yesterday afternoon before I came last night to teach, the Holy Spirit had me kind of stop here because, again, we've been a little academic, but I want to bring this home a little bit. And I'm not saying this is a thus saith the Lord moment, but what I I am going to do with us right now is I'm going to have us follow the logic a little bit of looking at the covenants and how they apply to us. I tend to believe... <clears throat> that the unconditional covenant is, is virtually the same covenant that God made in the new covenant. We'll get to that in just a second. It is unconditional. God's covenant with us is unconditional. But the conditional covenant of obedience and submission to God, I don't want you to hear right here at all that I'm saying that we are under the law because we know we've been set free from the law because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are set free from the law. However, in the new covenant, there is a higher law. They were simpler. It was a couple of verses rather rather than 14 chapters. Love God, love people is basically the law and the prophets comes down to those two phrases, love God, Love people. It's a higher commandment. And what I felt the Holy Spirit saying here is, as a church, not talking about cornerstones, I'm talking about Christians. As a church, I think that we tend to live in a place 
where we feel so set free from the law, we don't understand that we serve a higher law, a law of holiness. And we will spend our lives seeking God for, for blessing in our life. Who doesn't want blessing? I want blessing. And so I will seek God and I'll beseech after him and I will ask and I will search and I will plead and I will beg. But I want to live like a free person. And our freedom, we are free. Please do not hear. I'm saying that we live under a law. We don't. We are free, but our freedom is not free from, from obey, obedience to God. We are not free to live an unholy life. And when we treat God as someone who blesses without our obedience, I think we put a block in the way. We cut it right there. And it's not that he doesn't hear our prayers. But there is a covenant. There is a bit of conditional covenant here, and it has nothing to do with our salvation. We are saved by faith through grace alone. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my behavior. I am saved when I believe. End of story. I do nothing except believe, and I am saved. But the rest of my life, the rest of my life, I want God's blessing. There's a covenant. Love God, love people, pretty much that's harder than the Ten Commandments. I'm just telling you. I even tried this with the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. One day I was saying, you know, I was, I'm really trying to get this whole holiness concept across to them. And I was talking with them about, a little bit about this, about salvation, but about life after salvation. And I was talking about um, sin, and, but I was talking, they get so caught up in their good behavior. God did not die to make bad people good. He died to make dead things alive. And when we get caught up in our good behavior, we forget that we were saved through faith and grace alone. We think we've been somehow elevated by our good behavior, and we're not. By grace, we're alive to serve and be obedient. And I asked them about, you know, their good behavior, and they're all really good, and how about keeping the Ten Commandments? Fantastic, I'm really great at that. And I said, well, let's just start with one, honoring your father and mother. Oh. We can't get through a day without breaking those Ten Commandments. Not one day, any of us that we should think that we can appeal to a holy God without living in a place of understanding his sacrifice and what that holds us to. We put a block in our blessing. We cut it right there. And he hears our prayer, but he goes, man, your life. Will you let me in there? Will you let me clean that up? Will you see it yourself? And that is the Mosaic Covenant. That was God's heart. Not that they would keep a bunch of rules. It's, you know, frankly easier to keep a bunch of rules. Really. If the whole point of God was to set up a bunch of rules, he would have set up a bunch that they could keep. And he would have made it really simple because we're really simple. If that was the point, it would have been a few rules, easy to keep, and that would be life. 
He made them impossible, absolutely and totally impossible on purpose because they needed to know they had, they had a Savior coming, that his promise of redemption was coming. They needed to know their utter failure at being good. We need to understand our utter failure at being good. We can't do it. Not for a day. So when it comes to the prayer point today and it talks about where are you, where are you missing it in keeping covenant with God? I can't remember how I exactly put it. This is what I'm talking about, loving God and loving people. Where, where are you with that? In the New Testament, it talks about caring for the widows and the orphans. Where are you with that? Where are you on assignment on a daily basis with who he puts in your path and why he put them there? Where are you with that? Do you even notice? I, I, some days I get through the day and I'm, I've been so blind to who he's put in my path. Let's not be blind to who he's put in our path. It's on purpose. We are here to show the world who he is. Through every day and everything that we do, everything that we come in contact with, we are here to show the world who he is. Are there lost people out there? He left us in charge to go find lost people. His lost people, by the way, they're his kids. If I had a lost kid, there's a few people on this earth I would not put in charge of going to find my kid. But he put us in charge of finding his lost kids. Are you doing that? Do you know some lost kids? We get inside such a bubble that none of us even know anybody who's a lost kid anymore. We have to find some lost kids. Put some lost kids in your life. You will be more on purpose with God than you know if you put some lost kids in your life. Huh? Okay. So God's Mosaic Law was to be a schoolmaster so that we would easily see our sin pointing the way to Christ. Galatians 3, 24 through 25. Therefore, the law has become our tutor, tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Jesus, when he came, he said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law pointed to our need for a Savior, and the Savior would come. But the law, as we've just discussed, it didn't save anybody, the law itself. But by faith, through grace alone, just like today, Abraham was saved by faith through grace alone. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, you can read a whole chapter of people who were back in this, this time keeping the law, but they were saved by their faith through grace alone. It's no different than today. We do not live under the law. We are saved by faith through grace alone. It's kind of amazing, and it, is it that he still chooses imperfect people to show the lost who he is? The sacrificial system did not in itself take away sin. It just covered it so that God could be with them. Yet when Jesus died, his blood deleted it, erased it. It was no longer covered. It was erased, the sin. And that's the difference. 
The new covenant is an unconditional covenant. The new covenant was spoken about by Jeremiah some, I don't know how many, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. But this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. On their hearts I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The old covenant was written in stone, and the new covenant is written on our hearts, made possible by Jesus who fulfilled the law. Romans 8, 9 through 11. How, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, here we go, dead things, the spirit is life because of righteousness made alive. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Any of you who are sick today, this verse says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies and through his spirit who dwells in you. You've been hearing it over and over and over again since we began this study in the fall that all of the wilderness time, the tabernacle, it all points to Jesus. And you've been hearing it all along, and I hope you never get tired of hearing it because in order to understand the new covenant and what Jesus Christ did, you have to have done this work. To see the history of God's redemptive story with us helps you to understand what happened on the cross that day and why for centuries they had been practicing it and unbelievably missed it. But if we had the same blinders on us, we would still be following the law and we would have missed the Savior too. So I hope you never tire of hearing about how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New Testament. And how, as Christians, I know I did it too for many years, we can't just be New Testament studying of, of the Bible. You really do have to have the totality of God's word to understand what God's done and his story and how from the very beginning at the Garden of Eden, he's been trying to redeem it through the entire rest of our history. Never tire of hearing it. God bless you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are so good. I've been listening to a song, Lord, for the last couple of weeks from Nicole Nordeman, Love You More. And the chorus says, I love you. I'm trying to love you, Lord. Help me love you more. Help us, Lord, to love you more. To see you to be obedient to you, to submit to you, to do what is in front of us, the assignment that you've given us today, as Jesus did. I only do what I see the Father doing. Help us to be like that, Jesus. Amen.